Well, good morning, church. It's it's great to be here with you this morning. It's it's great to have this this opportunity to to share God's word with you. As was mentioned in the announcements, we we're going through the tough tough question series at at the six p.m. and and I encourage you to attend that. But this morning we we carrying on with facing the giants and and today we're probably tackling one of the the biggest giants we face. One of the, the toughest ones we, we find to do, and, and that's loving our enemy. But even more than that, the, the scriptures call us to, to pray for them as well. So if you want to turn to Matthew 5, verse 34, 43, sorry. Matthew 5, verse 43. Today we're only going to tackle one verse. It's all we have time for. But Matthew 5 verse 43 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Verse 44 as also. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is not a tough question that we face this morning, church, but, but this is rather a, a tough command that, or a tough action that Jesus calls us to. This is the greatest call of, of self-denial that there is, to, to love our enemy and to pray for them. Yeah, Jesus isn't just calling us to tolerate them or bear with them, but, but rather to love them. It's a, it's a challenge that, we, that often we think is easier to deal with, or, or we, we might think it's easy to deal with, but as we unlayer, it's like an onion, as we unlayer the, the levels of it that that we find that it's deep down in our heart that this needs to be dealt with. It's not just something we can deal with on the surface level. So to make it easier for us this morning, I'm just going to be tackling the part of loving our enemy, and next week, Pierre is going to be tackling on how we pray for them, just to make it a bit easier to digest. Last week, Matt put it so well that, that these six giants that we deal with are, are like climbing a mountain. The, the higher up we go, the steeper the slopes become. But the greater the self-denial needs to be in order to move forward. It's all, about, it's all about God and His kingdom and not us. We need to remove ourselves more and more out of the picture for, for this to be even a possibility in our lives. Artie Kendall puts it so well when he says that the Sermon of the Mount is like the Swiss Alps of Scripture. They're beautiful to look at, but they're tough to climb. They these, these thoughts and ideas sound great or, or they look like such good things, but, but they're tough to really do. I haven't had the privilege of, I've seen the Swiss Alps, but, I, but I've been to the Drakensberg and, and I've done some hiking and some 4 by 4 in, or I should say 2 by 4 in, even though the sign said 4 by 4 only. We, we tried in a normal bucky and we made it. Makes for better stories. But I can remember from those experiences that, that the road was steep and, and the, the paths were, were rough. There were sheer cliffs on either side of us. There was this random dodgy chain ladder that we needed to climb. But the one thing that, that sticks in my mind, and, and I can see it right now as I, as I, as I talk to you, is, is the view from the top. Standing on top of the amphitheater, you, you could see the folding mountains of the Drakensberg. Standing on the edge of the cliff, Looking down at Sani Pass, you, you see the little house at the bottom that's the South African border post, and then this long and winding road that cuts its way up this mountain. And, and, and I can see those views, but, but at the same time, the thought of getting there reminds me of how tough it was. The challenges that needed to be overcome, the, 
the obstacles that we faced. But the truth is that the reward was worth the effort. And this is the same principle for this passage that we're going to be dealing with today. We're going to be called to check our hearts. We, we need to search the depths of our hearts. It's going to call us to bring out the baggage that we've done so well at packing away. It's going to call us to, to deal with it today. It's going to call, that, call for us to deal with the hurt and the pain and the suffering that we've experienced by someone else. But church, the view from the mountaintop is worth it. The blessing that is in store for you and I, the, the joy that we can find in, in living a life with, as Jesus is calling us to, is worth the effort to get there. It's the life that he has set us apart for. This morning, we, as I said, we, we're going to tackle some of the, the issues that, that we've, we've done so well to, to bury away. Um, so bear with me as, we, as you go through this process. But I pray that my hope and prayer in this is that the, through the hurt and the pain that we, we journey through, when we reach the top, we see the view. We realize the joy that is found in Christ, the, the one whose name we can have freedom in. And in him we, we live and move and have our being. And, and we can just find that as our resting spot, as, as, the, as the part we, we're aiming for. But church, this, this journey is not going to be possible to, to love our enemy if we, if we choose to keep ourselves in the center of the picture. If it's all about me, if it's all about my work and my effort, I guarantee you we'll always find a reason of, of why someone else has done something to us or, or why I can't forgive them. Because we want to protect ourselves. And church, in this passage, we, we see that, as before, Jesus was teaching the crowd, but also addressing the Pharisees. And the Pharisees had, had twisted what the law had said, and they taught this. To love your neighbor was to love your fellow Jew. And, and you were to hate your enemy, so to hate anybody who wasn't a Jew. But Jesus flips the statement and says, you are to love your neighbor, and you are to love your enemy. Jesus' command is, is to Jesus' command to love our enemy doesn't let us off the hook for loving our neighbor. But rather what Jesus is saying is that our enemy becomes our neighbor. There is no escaping this. Jesus carries on in, in Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40, when, when he's asked, what is, the, what is the greatest commandment? What is the, the, the Pharisees come to him and try to, to trick him? And, and he goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, or the second is as equally as important as the first. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. I think we all kind of understand the first, the first statement there well. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, we, we are to love God with everything that we have. But I think we miss the focal point of the second statement. We have become too obsessed, church, with the idea of loving ourselves. We, we live in a world that that teaches us that, that we are the most important. It's all about us. We build walls around us. We build the, this bubble around us that, that is there for our own protection and our own safety. And the truth is we, we love ourselves a lot. The struggle we have is, is with loving our neighbor. And what Jesus is calling us to, he says, as you love yourself, love your neighbor. The, the call is not to love ourselves more, but rather to love our neighbor. The culture says, I am king. I am the most important person. My eyes only look out for my own interests. What Jesus is saying is have the same empathy and compassion for your neighbor around you. Love them in the same way as you love yourself. 
Church, the, the call is, is, is to love up, to love God, then to love in and love out. This is not just the call for SBC. This is not just the, the nice thing we put up on our website that everyone sees. But rather, this is the call of the gospel. That we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And if we take this loving our neighbor seriously, if we take this to heart, church, there's going to be a point where we're going to need to love our enemy along that road. We're going to need to love the one who's hurt us, the one who's caused us harm. We can't avoid that in life. So if we struggle with loving our neighbor, then how much more are we going to struggle with loving our enemy? And the reason we struggle with loving our enemy, church, is, is that this love is not our natural response. It's not our default position that we have. I don't know about you, but, but for me, when I'm harmed or, or when I'm offended, my, my natural response is not to skip away and be all happy and joyful and say, I love this person so much. No, rather, revenge, bitterness, and wanting them to get what's coming to them often goes through my head. It's not our natural response to, to just want to love our enemy out of, out of our own self. Rather, we want to see them getting what they deserve, the, the punishment that is due to them. And often, if it means we get to do it ourselves, even better. But church, that's not what we, we call to. But even more, this, this love that we call to is actually something we can't achieve by ourselves, except by the work of God in our life through the Spirit. Many authors agree on this one thing about this passage, and they say this call to love our enemy is supernatural. It's not something that you and I can achieve by our own efforts or our own striving, but rather it's something that, that only happens when we remove ourselves from the picture. It's not Mark's kingdom that I'm building, but God's kingdom. When I remove myself from the equation and, and I look back at the Beatitudes of, of the work of the Spirit in my life, I realize again my desperate need for God. How merciful God is to me. The depths of my sin that God has forgiven me from. And I realize there's more of Him and less of me. Then, and only then, church, does loving my enemy become possible. If it's going to be me at the center and it's all about protecting myself, this is never going to happen. Because while we do so well at protecting ourselves, but the call is to love out. You're asking, I'm sure most of you are asking the good question, but the question of how do we do this or what is it? You know, because this love that, that's spoken about here is, is not an emotional love or, or not a feeling. It's, it's not that, that warm butterflies in your stomach that you get or, or hope you still get. It, it's, that's not what we call to. It's not just to a warm and fuzzy love, but, but rather it's an act of the will. Or in, languages, in language that makes it easier to understand, it's, it's a choice that we make. Ultimately, it's the line in the sand. We, we choose to love. We choose to love. However, this choice to love often results in, or the way we respond when we choose to love is, is we become rep repressive. In other words, we, we deny what we feel. And repression is never a good thing. Ultimately, it's living in denial and trying to be happy with it. And I think as South Africans, we, we, we do this so well. We're taught to just fuss bait. Just hang in there. Just, just bite on. 
and, and, and push stuff down and, and don't deal with it. We push down the things that are too painful to deal with, the things that are too close to home. We turn a blind eye and pretend like things never happen so we don't have to deal with them. We hide this all deep, deep down inside our subconscious and we hope it never comes out again. But I love Artie Kendall's words when he says, the things we push down into the cellar ultimately go up into the attic. The things we push deep, deep down inside don't disappear, church. They don't just vanish, but rather they affect every part of our lifestyle. They affect our mind. The hurt we think, the hurt we think about caused by the rapist, the suffering we endured from a marriage, we think of the pain experienced from a loved one, and we try and press it down and down and down, but it still affects us each day. The results are high blood pressure, sleeplessness, stress, irritability. Why? Because we never actually deal with the issue at heart. We, we just push it down more and more and more. Currently, uh, I'm busy moving flats, and there was a great sermon illustration that I found yesterday. So we all have a Tupperware cupboard at home. Some of you know where this is going. We all have that Tupperware cupboard, and, and, and the front of your Tupperware cupboard looks great. You know, those are the Tupperwares you really use, and, and you know what's there. Yesterday, while packing Tupperware into a box, I was completely surprised of, of the amount of Tupperware that was at the back that I didn't even know that I owned. And, and the truth is, as I think about that and I think about how we deal with stuff, we, we often do that in our lives. We, we make the front row look great. We, we, we make that look perfect, and, and we kind of go, it's all in control. But meanwhile, at the back of the cupboard, there's just chaos, and there's just Tupperwares without lids that you don't even know where they came from. And that's often what happens in our lives, is, is we kind of build this idea that everything's fine, and we just push it down and down and down. But, but the mess and the chaos is still inside. It hasn't actually been dealt with. And that comes to the point of, of we need to actually deal with how we feel. We, we can't just leave it and, and go, well, I've just pushed it down and it's gone because it doesn't go, but rather it's still there. And the only way that we can deal with how we feel is, is, is to seek total forgiveness. So, so in other words, to, to seek to forgive the person before we can love them. Otherwise, we're going to try to love them out of, out of bitterness and resentment. We're going to try to love them with all of this still brewing inside of us. And the ultimate response is we're never going to love them fully. Therefore, we need to seek total forgiveness. Church, to love your enemy is a choice that requires you to forgive them. Forgive them for what they have done to you. I know some of you are sitting here today going, Mark, if you only knew the hurt and the pain and the suffering that I've been through at the expense of this person, how can you call me to forgive them? While others may be sitting there going, if, if I told you the things that have happened to me, you would probably blush with embarrassment. And it's true, I probably would. But the one thing that I know with confidence, the one thing that I can say for sure this morning is, is this idea of total forgiveness is not just a fantasy. It's not just a dream. It's not just something that's, that is restricted for five or six of us today. But rather, it's something that every believer can enjoy, every believer can experience. We can live in the reality of, of 
total forgiveness. Or in other words, we can forgive those who have sinned against us. We can forgive those who have caused us harm. Which means as a result, we live in freedom. We live, we live in this newfound freedom that we find in Christ. My heart again has been stirred by the fact that, that so many of us, Christians included, we walk around our life, we walk around in life bound by the shackles of unforgiveness, by the fact that we're not willing to forgive people. And the truth is we, we become bitter, we become resentful. And then the sad reality is so many of us have learned to be happy there. We've learned to be happy eating half-baked cake. We actually forgot what the real thing tastes like. We're just so happy with, with the scraps of what we get in. But ultimately, as we live in, in total forgiveness and, and as we look at what that means, we can live this, this life that, that God has set for us. We can live in the joy and the freedom that's found there. And we can experience Him to the full. To those in the situation, the, the gospel provides freedom. It provides joy. It provides the greatest example of one who, who loved his enemy. So as we journey through this thought of, of what total forgiveness is, my hope is that you start to see that there's, there's joy, there's hope, there's, there's a life. The view from the top of the mountain is always a lot better than from halfway up. But often getting to the top requires more effort. So church, let's, let's not settle for, for this half-baked Christianity, this half-baked thing that we live. But rather, let's, let's try to experience Christ to the full. So to understand what total forgiveness is, we're just going to quickly look through what it isn't. Firstly, it's not approving what they did. It's not saying, oh, well, it was fine. It was just a mistake. It's not excusing what they did. It's not justifying what they did. It's not pardoning what they did. Reconciliation isn't total forgiveness. As I shared at the eight, if, if Pierre has offended me and I forgive him, I have forgiven him, but there isn't reconciliation in that. Pierre and I need to reconcile together. Artie Kendall says, the, the man who sleeps with your wife is not the guy you're going to invite on your family holiday. You can forgive him, but reconciliation is not always possible. Reconciliation requires both parties to, to be involved. And finally, total forgiveness is, is not forgetting what someone did. It's not just trying to push it away because we see that doesn't help. But rather, instead of trying to push it away, to understand what total forgiveness is, we, we need to be fully aware of, of what the person has done to you. Yet, as a result of that, you are still willing to forgive them. It's not hiding away. It's not pushing down. But rather, it's acknowledging what has happened. It is acknowledging the hurt and the pain and the suffering that they have caused you. And from that point, we're still willing to forgive. You refuse to let the person pay or make the person pay for what they did. Ultimately, we kiss revenge and retaliation goodbye. We forgive and we don't hold it against them. In, in, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us these, these profound words. And, and I think at school we used to, to rattle off the Lord's Prayer so quickly that that we didn't really know what we were saying. I think it was our Father and Amen were the two audible words, and kind of everything in between was just a blur. But he says these words, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. R.C. Sproul describes it so well when he says, Christians forgive others in response to God's forgiveness. 
But if, we, if they do not forgive others, they cannot claim God's forgiveness for themselves. Church, so often we set up a different standard. We, we desire that God will forgive us, but, but we get to choose who we can forgive. We, we think we, we play judge, but, but ultimately we also want to play God in, in so many situations. So, so seeking total forgiveness is being aware of someone, what someone has done, but still willing to forgive them. It's also a choice. It's not your natural response, but rather it's a choice to keep no record of wrong. To seek total forgiveness means we do not store the list of offenses that the person has done against us. Church, how we love to do that when we, when we pull out the piece of paper from our back pocket of, of the list of everything the person has done to offend you. We wave it in front of their face. We, we tell them of the, the hurt and the suffering and the pain that they've caused us. And then we pull out our pen and we add to the list because we've thought of more. And then we fold it up and put it back in our pocket for next time. Church, to, to seek total forgiveness is to tear that list up, is to throw it away. By choosing to store the list, by choosing to keep the, these things in our heart, ultimately all it is is the fertilizer that helps build resentment. It is the fertilizer that, that helps to build bitterness. But if we choose to keep no record of wrong, we, we need a fight for that. Because I guarantee you, we can choose that today, but tomorrow it's going to rear its head again. And you've got to choose tomorrow to go, I will not throw this in your face again. To seek forgiveness is, is to tear up that list and, and not to bring it up. Which leads to the next one, with, of not spreading what they have done to you. So in other words, not... This doesn't mean that, that you don't go seek professional help if you need to or, or speak to someone about it if, you, if, you, if that's what's going to help. But ultimately what it does mean is that we don't speak about the person in such a way that we bring their name down. We don't wave the flag of, of everything that they've done to us for the world to see. But rather by choosing to forgive, we, we put that flag away and we never bring it out again. Ultimately, we... We wave, we wave it goodbye. Total forgiveness is, is an inner condition. It's not something that we can just do with our head. It's not something that we can just think through and, and wrap our minds around it and, and then we're good. Because in Matthew 12 verse 24, it says, Out of the mouth the heart speaks. So if we only deal with this in our head, very soon our heart's going to start to speak what we really feel. Our heart's going to start to speak what's really inside. So church, as we deal with this from the heart, we, we understand the heart is where our emotions come from. We deal with it, we deal with it in such a way that, that our heart is settled, our, our heart is at rest with it. If we don't deal with it with our heart, ultimately all we're doing is, is we, we're painting over the cracks of the wall and just hoping that they never show their face again. But when we wrap our hearts around it, when, when our heart forgives, not just our head, then that's what we start to speak. The next one was one of those that, that required me to wrap my head around a little bit more than the others. Because when I first read it, I, I kind of cringed a little bit. So, so maybe that's what you might feel. But, but to seek total forgiveness requires us to forgive God. To qualify this from the start, this does not mean in any way that God is guilty. The reason it's such a vital step, it's such a a, a important thing to look at is, is deep down at the center of your and my heart, 
Deep down at the center of our bitterness, our resentment, is the fact that we know God allowed this to happen. God is not guilty, though we feel that he acted unfairly. You know, God, you, you, wanted, you wanted better for me, you wanted this, but how could you let this happen? Church, if we don't answer the question of, of God, why did you let this happen? We stop asking that question and we start to say, God, I hate you for what has happened to me. We start to blame God. We start to, to turn away from him. We, we live in such a way that we know he's there, but, but it doesn't make a difference to our life because he's the guy who hurt us. Church, at this point, we, we need to still our voices. We need to still our hearts before God and allow these these great words of Romans 8.28 to filter in. Sometimes they don't make sense in, in the situation we find ourselves, but, but that's where we just need to let them filter in day by day. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those whom he loves and those who are called according to his purpose. As we see these words, we, we see that God has a great plan it's a plan that's, that's way above yours and mine. Sometimes we, we only see now, maybe tomorrow if we're lucky. But this shows that God has a bigger plan, a bigger purpose, a bigger picture that's at play, one that we're not fully aware of. God allows the suffering that, that has taken place to work His good. It may hurt now, but, but God is working in that. But also it shows the, the greatest comfort that there is. That God still loves us. Because he says he works for the good of those whom he loves. It's not there to, it's not there to punish you. He hasn't abandoned you in the situation. But rather it's an opportunity to call out for more of him in, in our lives. The opportunity to, to seek him more and more. That we can start to understand where he's working and how he's working. And we can start to understand his ways a little bit more. Second last one is, is we need to forgive ourselves. You're called to forgive your enemy. We, we need to forgive God, but so often we struggle to forgive ourselves. The words that we hear so often are, are I've, I've forgiven the person, but I just can't forgive myself. Church, we, we live in an idea then where, where we become judged, where we become the, the final authority of, of where forgiveness comes from. John Piper says this, to self-forgiveness is to humble, humble ourselves and to admit that we had no right to take on the role of judge and to pronounce a death sentence over ourselves again. That is pride, to think that we can hear God's verdict of not guilty, a friend's verdict of not guilty. Simply put, I forgive you and then refuse it. We refuse it and we set ourselves up as the new judge to pronounce a death sentence over ourselves again. It is an arrogant failure to trust the free verdict of God of no condemnation. So church, so often when we, we struggle with this, we, we struggle to forgive ourselves and, and in, in a sense we start to play God in our own lives. We we're happy to forgive others, but we, we're not willing to forgive ourselves. We, we feel that we've done too much wrong, but we, we're happy to forgive others. Which leads us to, to total forgiveness is, is where mercy and grace are seen. As we land this, the, the heart of the Bible is, is that God is merciful and God is just. 
Mercy means God does not give us the punishment that we do deserve. While justice means that God needs to punish us because we have sinned against us, against him. The gospel answers how these two things can happen at the same time with a simple statement. God sent Jesus to die on the cross so that he could take the just punishment that we deserved. So that God could be true to his word and show us mercy. The heartbeat of total forgiveness, church, is the gospel. Is that you and I are sinful people. A people who have sinned against God. Yet we are shown grace in getting what we don't deserve. And we are shown mercy in not getting what we do deserve. So when we receive, we receive total forgiveness from God. As far as the east is from the west, so our sins have been removed. Thankfully, God doesn't display your and my sins for the world to see. He doesn't pull out the list and go, this is what you've done against me. But rather, he, doesn't, rather he, he wipes the slate clean. He doesn't keep reminding us of our sin daily. But rather, he, he offers forgiveness of sin. He offers us a new life in him. But here's the game changer, church. That God knew the depths of your and my sin. Even better than you and I would like to imagine. He knew the messy, dirty corners of our lives. The, the things that we hadn't even tried to deal with on our, by ourselves. Yet it was at this point, when we were at our worst, that he chose to forgive you and I. He chose to wipe our slate clean. He chose to give us a fresh start. Our sin is paid for, and there is total forgiveness in the name of Jesus. He didn't call us to, to put more effort in or, or, or pay our debt in full by ourselves, or, or that we needed to do more to, to get it as we so often do with people when, when they ask for forgiveness, we, we often want to make them earn it. That is not what Jesus has done to us. We have a, a free gift of, of salvation. So for the person today who's exploring faith, faith who's exploring this Christianity, there's a, there's a desperate need to realize that, that we can't love our enemy without first receiving forgiveness from God. We can't love our enemy with, without first receiving this total forgiveness that comes through Christ. Otherwise, all we're doing is we're just refresh, rep, uh, excuse me, repressing our emotions. We, we're just trying to push stuff down and, and ultimately deal with it by ourselves. And the truth is we never actually do. However, for those who, who are in Christ today, the, the challenge is this, that, that we have received this great forgiveness from God. But the question is, what is stopping us from, from forgiving others? Besides our ego and our pride, what else is getting in the way of, of us showing for forgiveness to those who have hurt us? Church, it's, it's our default position that, that we want vengeance. We, we want to see the person suffer. But the call of the, call of the gospel, the, the call of Jesus today is, is to love your enemy, to totally forgive your enemy. To wave, to wave vengeance goodbye, to, to love them and, and choose to continue to love them. And for the individual today, there is freedom. There is forgiveness. There is freedom. There is healing from the, from the bitterness and the resentment and the hurt. Church, we, as we look to the cross, we, 
we bring all of that, we bring our bitterness, our hurt, our, our resentment to the cross, and we leave it at the foot of the cross. But then we leave it there. I think so often we've, we've got so good at bringing stuff to Jesus, but then taking it away with us. We, we want to hold on to it. To seek total forgiveness means we, we take it to the cross and we leave it there. And then we live in the freedom that is found. And then tomorrow morning when we wake up, we, we do it again. Why? Because it's not our own strength that we can achieve this. It's not, by, it's not by our good works or our effort or our striving that we can love our enemy. But rather it's by understanding the, the love that God has for you and I. In the depths of our sin, in the depths of our mess. And from there we, we, we receive forgiveness from Him. And therefore we, we go out and forgive others in the same way. Church, I challenge you today to, to not leave with, without starting this journey. We, the, answer, the, the answer to total forgiveness is, is not going to happen overnight. But rather, it's a, as Artie Kendall calls it, it's a life sentence. Every day we, we choose to deal with this again and again. So church, I, I pray that today we, for some, we, we start this journey towards forgiving those who, who have harmed us, those who have, we have held on or, or we, we've had on a leash because we now have power and control over them. I pray that we, we choose to, to forgive them and, and then live in the freedom that comes from that.